a world that uh, is riddled with abuse, brokenness, inequity, hunger, disease, sickness, war, emotional, mental breakdown, and it can be absolutely overwhelming. And we wonder, what can the church do about this? And there is, you see, a challenge, a challenge for the church to impact our world, a challenge to make a difference in our world, a challenge that is so great, the need is so immense. And it seems as though the church has lost much of its influence, hasn't it? It seems as though the church uh, that used to be central to our life, core to our communities, uh, think about it. When a town was built, normally in the center of the town, and often on a high place was put a church. A church was built. It was central geographically. It spoke into the life of the community. It it, it, uh, dealt with the domain of the ethical and uh, moral uh, state of the community. Pastors were often uh, highly regarded, and church had a considerable voice in society. Hey, we've lost that, haven't we? We've lost that, that place where the church was really making a difference in society. Uh, the church has lost so much of its influence. It's been marginalized. Uh, religion has been um, uh, privatized. Uh, church leaders were highly regarded and now not so highly regarded. They're, they're on the margins. And, and the privatization of religion has said, it's okay to have religion. You have your religion but you keep it to yourself. You don't share it, and it, does, it has no place in, in the public sphere. Um, don't let it impact the life of the community. And so the church's influence is rather anemic compared to what it has been in certain places and certain times. Not taken seriously. And, and few uh, know what goes, be, goes beyond uh, or, or happens be, behind those doors. I talked to a fellow who was uh, looking at being a, a pastor in a church and he wandered around uh, the community around where the church was and he engaged a few people in discussion and they said, I don't know what goes on behind those doors. I don't know what it is. And the church has been so to itself. And yet the interesting thing was Uh, the church was never supposed to be a private thing. It was supposed to make waves. It was supposed to touch the community. It was supposed to make a difference. Whether you liked it or not, you were aware of it. Well, that's what happened in the Bible too. Pentecost came. And and here they are in the place in Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified uh, just 50 days before. Here they were uh, gathered and, and something amazing happened. And there were these phenomenon, like the sound of a rushing wind, and these things that little, looked like little licks of fire. And people began to speak in languages they had never learned before. And, and, and it caused curiosity in the community. And Peter stood up and preached a sermon to explain what was going on. And 3,000 people said, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they were publicly baptized. There was a stir in the city. The religious leaders are upset. These are the guys who put Jesus to death. 
they were jealous of Jesus. They were afraid of losing their power and popularity, so they killed him, and they thought that would be the end of it. And now his followers are leading a movement, uh, a movement that it can threaten the status quo. <clears throat> so that in chapter 2 of Acts, after this, we find out that the believers uh, and, and the church enjoyed the favor of all the people. They were making a name for themselves. And daily people were coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ and join this movement. And it kept growing. And the religious leaders uh, brought the apostles before the, the Sanhedrin, before their court. And, and they threatened them. You stop this or else. That's the end of it. We don't want to hear any more. But interestingly enough, um, they were highly respected by the people. In fact, people even brought their sick out into the, excuse me, into the street so that maybe even the shadow of Peter passing by would heal them. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. And yet the church kept growing. It kept spreading in its influence. Later, as the Apostle Paul would travel and, and have his missionary journeys, he goes to Philippi. And there when he's at, at Philippi, there's a... Uh, there's a woman, uh, who, uh, a, a young woman who has been possessed of a demon and uh, she was able to fortune tell for some of, her, uh, some of the people who, who had her and she kept pestering them. These men are, uh, these men are servants of the living God and finally uh, Paul had had enough and he commanded the demon to come out of her. And they, these, these people who owned this slave girl no longer had the source of income. And they were, they were frustrated. They were angry. And Paul is thrown in jail. You see, the gospel made a name wherever it was. In Acts chapter 17, you have the church of Thessalonica. And uh, the gospel had taken root there and it had spread so that all the way into Macedonia and Achaia, people had heard about it. They knew, what was, they knew there was something going on. In Acts chapter 17 also, the Apostle Paul goes to the Areopagus, the, the center of intellectual learning. And, and there he's invited to speak on that stage. And, and the gospel is getting heard there. It's controversial. But whether you liked them or didn't like them, the, the church was making inroads. In chapter 19, uh, the missionaries have gone to Ephesus. And here they, are in this, uh, here they are in this place in Ephesus. And the interesting thing is um, that, that the gospel had so touched this place that it had caused some economic strife. See, Ephesus was the place where the goddess Artemis or Diana was. And people were turning from idolatry to the living God. And the people who made a lot of money, uh, the artisans who made uh, statues of, of uh, Artemis, were now being hit in their income. And they said, we've got to stop these people. They're, they're having an influence here, and it's not good for our income. And a riot broke out. See, the church of Jesus Christ wasn't always hidden behind our doors and nobody knew who we were or what we did and we didn't have any influence in the community. And many times in history, uh, the church really made a difference and it couldn't be silent. It silenced. It couldn't be kept be behind closed doors. And whether it was a positive or, or negative reaction to the church, the church was a player. And they knew who they were. Now, by comparison, it seems to me that we're not making a huge 
dent in our society. It seems like we don't have much influence in, in terms of a policy and morals and ethics and all of that kind of thing. And the world is in a mess and we see that there's a gap. There's a gap between what we are and what we could be and what we should be. And so as a church, we started thinking about that and thinking about what, what is it that we want God to do with us? What does God want for us? And we had a vision statement, and our vision statement is this, to touch our world through Jesus, one life at a time. We want to touch our world. We don't, we don't want to be hidden behind somewhere and having no influence. We want to be a church, and God wants us to be a church that cares for people and that gets out of our pew and out of our seat and out of our church and out of our homes and we're touching lives one life at a time and God's desire for us is that we would have an impact that we envision a church that has an, a, an influence in our community that the church would have a profound impact touching people wherever we are in our world, whether that world is our little family at home, or it's our workplace, or it's on a global kind of uh, nature, where we are, God doesn't want us to be hidden and silenced and intimidated. And as the church, that's you, and that, that's uh, I. Uh, we're, we're called to make a difference in our world. We're called to make a difference in our world. And that difference is made through Jesus who is in us. And we want to touch our world through Jesus. And God's way of touching our world was through love. God's way of touching our world was through love. God who himself is love, is motivated by love. God said he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He wants to make a difference in the world. And he wants to use us. And it's interesting that uh, the religious leaders despised Jesus. Uh, they couldn't stand Jesus. Uh, they, they saw him and they... they uh, they tried to thwart what he was doing. He was garnering more success, uh, more popularity, and they were afraid for that, the power that he would, he would have. And so they, they uh, tried to thwart him, discredit him. They plotted against him, and ultimately they crucified him. They killed him. His strategy, though, was not to fight back. It wasn't to fight fire with fire. It wasn't to start a political revolution. It wasn't to amass wealth and power and by coercion force his will. No, his strategy was not those things. Rather, he came to love. He came to touch lives. He came to heal. He came to forgive. He came to meet people at the deepest point of their need. He came to save souls and transform lives. And Paul said... It's a more excellent way. I want to tell you about a more excellent way. I want to tell you about love. And God reaches out to us in love. God's love uh, is what he wants for our lives. And it's interesting. There's a story in the Bible that was read for us by Colin this morning um, that helps us understand. And that was the Good Samaritan. 
Jesus had an encounter with a, uh, with a religious leader, with an expert in the law, with a guy who was well-versed in the scriptures. He knew the scriptures well. And uh, he, he comes to Jesus with a question. His question is for Jesus, um, what is it that I have to do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. I, I hope that's a question that you can answer because that's the most important question that will ever confront you. What is, uh, and Jesus turns around and says, what, what do you need to do? Well, he says, you, you know the law. You tell me what's written in the law. And the man said this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said this to him. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do that and you will live. Of course, the funny thing is he didn't realize that he could do that perfectly. To love God with the totality of his being all the time and to love his neighbor as himself. Uh, Jesus affirmed that. He says, you know what? You've, you've got the core of it. it. It's to love God with everything you have and to love neighbor as self. And God's desire, you see, is to love him and love our neighbor. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and he could take the 613 laws that are in the Old Testament. And he could reduce it to love God with everything in you. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to make sure that he was on the right side. And, and so his question well, is, well who's my neighbor then? If that's what I'm supposed to do, who, who's my neighbor how, how far does this loving the neighbor go? Who do I extend it to? Because you know, I'll try and do what I'm supposed to do, but I, I need to know. And to answer this question, Jesus teaches him or, or uh, speaks to him of a parable. He speaks about a man who's going from Jerusalem uh, down to uh, Jericho. He's going from the capital down to a city that's... Uh, uh, that's some 20, 30 miles away, uh, straight down. And uh, as he travels, as he goes, he's accosted by thieves and robbers who beat him, uh, leave him in a pool of blood to die on the side of the road, rob him of everything that they could take from him. Jesus tells about this man, and then he says, well, a priest came along. He came on the same road. Probably he had finished a tour of service. All the, all the priests, and there were a few thousand of them, would come and do a tour of service at the temple, and then they would go back to their home. And so he was probably returning from Jerusalem back to his home after completing his service. And uh, a priest is like our clergy, it's like our pastor, he's, uh, he's like a, the leader of the church, somebody who studied theology, somebody who knows, somebody who serves God, somebody who's close to God, somebody who understands the word of God. And uh, as he comes down and he's, he's on his way, uh, he sees this guy. And he looks at him, and he's perhaps not sure whether he's dead or alive. The scripture says he's half dead. Uh, maybe he, 
he sees the blood and he thinks, you know what, uh, I would be ceremonially unclean if I touch a dead body or if I touch blood and then I've got to be so many days to purify myself. And Maybe he thought, the same guys are around here, I'm getting out of here, I'm not, I'm not hanging out where this person is. Maybe he's concerned for his well-being. Maybe he's one of those guys like we do so many times, we just don't want to get involved. Whatever it is, it's a big letdown because he's going to leave this guy to die. Well, a Levite comes along, and a Levite is a a part of the tribe from which the priests came, and the Levites were committed to serving and helping with the the work of the priests. So they're religious workers, uh, and we are hopeful. Well, this guy will respond to help this person. And as he looks and assesses the situation, he too passes by on the other side of the road. He doesn't want anything to do this. Well, a third person happens along, and that third person is a Samaritan. And uh, Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They weren't considered pure Jews. Um, They had, years before, they had uh, uh, people that had been uh, sent to live in their land when they had been um, uh, overrun by the Assyrians. And they intermarried with other people and they had their own form of worship. They didn't go to Jerusalem to the temple. They, only, they didn't accept all of the Bible as, uh, from them. They had different things. And so not only were they not pure Jews, they didn't have and, and follow what was deemed to be the right uh, religion. And here comes this guy. And you need to understand the, the kind of hatred that existed between the two groups. The uh, people hated the, the, the Samaritans, and if you're hated by someone, the, the natural tendency is you hate them back. And so here is this guy, and uh, he comes along the same scene, and here's a Jewish person. And, and uh, he sees this Jewish person, a person who would hate him, who would have no respect for him, who would, uh, would consider him an enemy. And it says that he took pity on him. He bound up his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him there. And then when he had to leave, he said, look, I'm going to give you uh, two silver coins and and you take care of him. And if he needs more care, when I come back, I'll pay for that too. Uh, I'll reimburse reimburse for any of the costs. And the most uh, unlikely thing is this enemy did what the highest religious people refused to do sometimes people use religion as an excuse for doing what God wants them to do it's pretty convenient at times and so here is this person and uh, he did what nobody else would do he gave of himself he made a difference in the life of this person and and Jesus asked this religious leader who was questioning him he said this um Who was a neighbor to this guy? And the religious leader said, well, I suppose the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, that's right. Now go and do likewise. Because you want to know what I want of you? I want you to love God with all your heart. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Uh, My neighbor is... Jesus is helping him understand and redefine neighbor from somebody who's like me. 
Somebody who's my, from my family. Somebody who's from my ethnic background. Somebody who's from my same religious background. Somebody who lives in close geographical proximity to me. Um, somebody that I, I don't have to worry about paying back. Somebody that, uh, that uh, I, I can just do that. Um, and, and, and he says, I want you to think not, I want you to go from thinking like that to thinking this. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you are able to reach and meet that need. Jesus wants his church. Jesus wants us um, in in that way uh, to love others the way we love ourselves, to broaden our spectrum of the kind of people that we would love, the kind of people that we would help, the kind of people we would reach out to. He wants to touch us through um, and, and touch our world through him. We, he wants us to be his hands and feet and to allow his love to fill us and overflow from us, uh, from our hearts to others. And so we see Jesus in this story taking us to what it, it took to love neighbor. And when you look at Jesus, that's what Jesus did his whole ministry. He loved and cared for and reached out and made a difference in the lives of, of everyone. He touched all of them. Well, to make a difference in the life of this, in someone, I think there are a few things that we see in this passage. The first one is to identify opportunities to show love in everyday life. To identify opportunities to show love in every day of life. This event happened in the course of a normal day. Everybody was going about their business. Everybody was doing what they normally did. The priest was going probably home. Uh, the, the, the guy who was traveling was maybe on a business trip. Maybe he was, maybe he had, it was going to see family. Uh, we don't know exactly what, but it, it's just in, in the daily occurrences of life. Tragedy strikes. He's left in a pool of blood. He's left to die by the side of the road. His wife wouldn't know. He just wouldn't show up at home. His kids wouldn't know. Daddy just didn't come home. We don't know what went wrong. It's just he was supposed to be home. But stuff happens during our life. And now here he is. His life is ebbing away. He's lying there helplessly on the side of the road. And a priest it says, happened to be going that way. Happened to be going with. It's, it was, the word is like, it's by chance. It just happened along. May I suggest to you that uh, with God, nothing is by chance? That here is this man coming by and he, is, he, he sees a person in dire need on the side of the road. It wasn't by chance. God placed this man there so that he could be a help. So that he could, he could uh, reach out to this person uh, in, in his struggle. That he could do something when tragedy had struck. And yet, he doesn't do it. It wasn't by chance. But a man of God has been presented with an opportunity to love a neighbor, to touch a life, to make a difference, to be Jesus, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. No chance with God. And day in and day out, folks, we are presented with opportunities uh, to show the love of Christ. To, to, be, uh, to touch the life of someone who's struggling, who's discouraged, who's broken, who's hurting, who's lonely. Uh, we're afforded the opportunity to touch a life 
through Jesus. Do you see them? Day in and day out, do you see these people? It's, it's maybe a senior person all by themselves in a care facility. It, it, it may be that woman at the office who's quiet and seems so sad. It, it may be the little boy at school who's new and, and somehow he doesn't fit in. He's different and he has no friends. It, it may be the mother who's at home overwhelmed with three little kids at home and they're sick. It can be the neighbor who is now beyond being able to clean his or her own driveway of snow. It's the person who needs a ride to the clinic and has no way of getting there. You see, every day we're confronted with people, people we know, people we don't know. And we have an opportunity to do something, to be Christ, uh, to speak a word of encouragement, to reach out to help. And God, give us eyes to see and to perceive those who are all around us. That love would be that which permeates us and overflows from us. I remember when my, a couple of years ago my granddaughter was little and it was, um, it was Valentine's Day. And we were going to get something for her mom. And we went to this little strip mall and uh, as we got out of the car... Um, there was an older lady coming to her car. And um, it was cold, and it was snowy. And out of innocence and the spontaneity of a child, my granddaughter looked up and said to this lady, have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And the, word, the woman stopped. And, and, and she said, this is the only happy thing I will have today. It was such a small thing by a little child who just gave a word of encouragement to something. You see, it doesn't have to be something huge. Sometimes just being able to touch people's lives. It's interesting, I've, I've walked through the hospital and I see on a bench there a woman sitting and crying. And, and I stopped and I said, are you okay? She said, no, and she explained what happened. And I could listen and I could say, I will pray for you. But all around us are people who are hurting and people who are needy and people who are broken. And many of us don't even see them. God, give us eyes. Give us hearts that see and allow us to reach out. Well, the second thing is Jesus. Allow Jesus' compassion to touch your heart. See, we can be insensitive. But also we can be cold and uncaring, and unfeeling. And that certainly wasn't Jesus' heart. It's interesting to listen to descriptions of Jesus in his ministry. And he went from town to town, teaching and preaching of the kingdom of God, and healing the sick, and, and, and the diseased, and reaching out to those who, who were uh, demonized, and freeing them. And in Matthew nine thirty six, it says this, when he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting, this word compassion. Um, the, the, the word in the original ang- uh, language, really, it means bowels. 
he, you know, the old King James Version would talk about bowels of mercy. And, and they would talk about that as they would talk about the heart, your stomach, because we feel it. You have a gut feeling. You feel it uh, so, um, so powerfully. And Jesus, when he saw these people, he had compassion upon them. The, inter- the interesting thing is, is this. We see the picture of Jesus, and, and it's so often we see him when, when he's confronted by something. The, the, the pathos of it all moves him even to tears. When he sees these people hurting and helpless, he weeps on their behalf. You see, if we want to be Jesus, we need to have the heart of Jesus. We need to have a heart of compassion. The priest and the Levite had no heart. They didn't care. They had no compassion. They didn't want to get involved. Keep me away from this. I don't want to get blood on my on my outfit, I don't want to hang around here and risk myself. But when the Samaritan saw the man, it says he took pity on him. That's the same word. He had compassion. He felt it in here. His heart went out to them, and he was moved to action. I need to ask you a question. When you see brokenness and pain, do you care? Or do you just shut it out of your mind and look the other way so you don't have to deal with it? See, that wasn't what Jesus was like. And if you're Jesus' people, you have Jesus' heart, and Jesus' heart is to reach out and do something. It's interesting. Um, we, we had an announcement for Toronto Alliance. And we go down to the downtown core and... And there are a lot of people on the street and a lot of needy people. We go down uh, about four or five times a year and we reach out with the love of Christ and provide them some food and listen to them and talk to them and encourage them and uh, provide for their needs. Uh, And I've been down with Pastor Bill Dick and I've walked the street with Pastor Bill Dick. And and I've seen people, Pastor, hello, and he knows them by name. He cares for them, and that church cares for them. And we join in in helping them to reach out to some of these people. I heard, it, I heard a, a missionary speaking, and uh, he worked in one of those kind of areas. And he was off to a speaking engagement, and he was walking, and there was a guy that he knew um, outside of, uh, lived on a second story off this street. And as he was passing by, he saw this guy, and he was... Uh, he was drunk, totally drunk. And he said, Pastor, can you help me? And the pastor just, oh, man, I've got got to get, I've got to speak, I've got to get there. So he helped him. Up one long flight of stairs, and then a second flight of stairs took him up. And he got him to the top, and he got him to his door, uh, kind of steadying him and helping him. And the guy turned around and puked all over him. And he said, he said, I just started to burn inside. I've got to go and now look at me. And he said, the guy said to him, thanks, pastor. Thanks, pastor. And it melted his heart that he had the privilege to care for somebody as Jesus would. But you've got to have the heart. You have to have the compassion. Well, next, 
we need to be indiscriminate in our love. Indiscriminate in our love. You know, I will love you if you're my kind of person. I'll love you if you're like me. I'll love you if it's, if it's uh, sanitary enough to love you. I'll love you on these conditions. And yet, that wasn't Jesus. Jesus' love was like, come one, come all. I don't care who you are. I don't care how dirty, how filthy, how diseased, um, you know, how bad, how evil, how wicked you are. Come to me. Be indiscriminate in your love. And that's what the, the, the uh, Samaritan did. He wouldn't normally, you know, the other guys wouldn't touch this guy. Here's a person who hated those people. And yet he loved indiscriminately. He loved, it didn't matter um, how bad or how, um, how, how this person was not, uh, not friendly toward them. He, he, he loved beyond those kind of boundaries. He didn't make excuses. The Jews don't treat us well. He didn't say, I'm trying to keep my schedule. I, I, I'm going to be late if I don't do this. He didn't say, I don't hang around those kind of people. He, he said, I, I, don't, I, I don't help just because I, I can get paid back for it. God loves all people. Uh, young people, I, you know, I, I was uh, touched as you talked about what impacted you in Peru. And one of the things that you said impacted you was going to this garbage dump with little kids and, and bare feet running around in this filth, uh, unclean. And you guys, God gave you a heart of compassion. And you reached out and you embraced those dirty little children. And you loved them with the love of Christ. See, that's what God calls us to do is to be indiscriminate with our loving And fourthly, use the resources you have. See, you've been blessed so you can be a blessing. You've been blessed, you've been given by God so that you can give to others. You've been provided with things so that you can provide for others. And I think we don't realize the resources we have and to employ those and to realize what God has given us, we need to manage and steward for his purpose. And so... Here we are, um, given abilities, given time, given money, given resources that we can use to help others. And that's exactly what the Samaritan did. He said, I'm going to take time, I'm going to give my time. I'm going to clean this guy up. I'm going to take him to a place and care for him. I'm going to leave money that will we'll provide for that. And, and we need to see that God has given us some things that we can use. And here's the, here's the fabulous thing. Here's the great thing. To do this, you can be in elementary school. To do this, you can be poor. To do this, you can have very little, but you can share a kind word. You can open a door. You can reach out. You can do something to help somebody. It, it doesn't take... It doesn't take a, a person with a lot of money and, and status. Any and every one of us can do something like that. A kind word to help, a word of encouragement, a time to, to take somebody to an appointment, uh, to help somebody carry a bag to their car. Uh, there's so many little ways we can do it. And, and that's what God wants us to do. We've entitled this series, Ripples. Ripples. And uh, what 
what we don't realize is that sometimes that little drop, that, that little nothing that we do sends out shock waves and ripples, something like this. Make a difference. Touch a life. Make a difference for eternity. You know what? I I believe, I believe that most of us who are here want to really live a life that honors God and counts. I, 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 I really believe that for most of us. But we fall short, don't we? We would like to be here. We want to be here. We aspire to be there, but we, we fall short of what God wants. And, and I want to encourage you because sometimes the things we live for and consume ourselves with are the trivialities, uh, trivialities of life that mean nothing in the end. The only thing that you will carry out of this life is what you've done for Christ. When I was a kid, we had a little, a little plaque on the wall. You, some of you who are older may have seen this too. It says, only one life, soon twill be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Sometimes I think of the things that we chase after and, and, and the things we want and the things that, that we do. And what God wants is us to invest our life 
in something beyond making more money or accumulating more things or more vacations or doing, but to make a difference in our life. Imagine, imagine with me, four or five hundred of us every day waking up and saying, God, show me how you can use me today. God, show me how I can reach out and touch somebody's life today. Make a difference in somebody's life today. And, and if you're like me, sometimes it's the, the, you see the needs and it's so overwhelming. That I don't even know where to begin. I mean, you go down and you see all these little kids at the, the dump and, and you say, well, it's, I, what can I do? I'm here for a few days. Love one kid. Love one kid. Um, there, there was a boy who was uh, walking on the beach, and an older man saw him. The tide had gone out, and he'd left uh, a whole pile of... Uh, uh, there, there were all kinds of starfish left on the beach, and uh, hundreds and thousands of them. And, and uh, the little boy would pick up a starfish and throw it out into the water. And, and the man was watching him, and he says, look, he says, uh, son, you can't, you can't fix it all for these. And the little boy picked up one. And he said, yeah, but I can make a difference in this one's life. And he threw it. And we get overwhelmed that there's so much, but I can make a difference in this one's life. And if we all made a difference in one person's life, and every day that grew, the church would not be meaningless. The church would not be redundant. The church would not be hidden. But we would touch lives, and God would use it in a powerful way. And I want to leave you with this this statement. Do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. I can't do all this. It's, it's huge. It's too big. Sponsor one child. Care for one person. Do, take care of one senior. Do, do one thing. Do something for one person that you wish you could do for everyone. And the church will be the salt and light that it was meant to be.